everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. There'll be no dancing this morning for Team USA as they come up just short in the World Baseball Classic as Japan wins that title for the third time in five World Baseball Classics. Japan has won the whole thing three times and has finished his third twice. They are the standard. USA falls just short. Thought they were going to make a run late in this game. Thought they were going to kind of wake up a little bit, but credit Japan. They played a great game. Played an excellent game. They've played excellent the entire World Baseball Classic. When you have Otani and Darvish that you can bring out of the pin in a championship game, you're pretty good. I'm just saying, pretty good, pretty good. Pitching advantage, Japan. Hitting advantage, you could say, was the Americans. At the end of the day, Japan was the better team. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm the big, bald, and beautiful one, Raymond Parch III. Of course, we're broadcasting live from the EVCO Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. EVCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction I'm joined inside those studios by the producer extraordinaire, Mr. Dawson Iserlo. We got a good hump day edition of the show on tap. The Mad Dog Ron Higgins will join us fresh from his cruise. He'll have plenty of things to say about the LSU women's basketball team and baseball. Maybe even ask him a little football. Spring football is in full effect over in Baton Rouge. Jay Walker scheduled to join us as well. The longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Cajuns baseball got a win last night. We'll get to that as well. We'll talk to Jay about all things Vermillion and White. And then Andrew Juge. It's been busy, busy, busy for the New Orleans Saints. They made a couple more minor moves yesterday. They just keep making moves. I keep getting told by national people that they have no money to make moves. Yet, yet, despite what the talking heads screaming at each other on television say, New Orleans Saints keep signing people. How are they doing this? We'll talk about that with Andrew Juge later on today. Plus, we'll unveil our foodie poll question of the week, which is always our poll question of the day on Wednesdays. We'll take your phone calls. Game hotline is open. You know we'd love to hear from you. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. World Baseball Classic comes to an end. 3-2 win for Japan. Otani strikes out his teammate, Trout. Which was kind of cool. I mean, I hate to say it because the Angels are a dumpster fire franchise. But two of the best players in the game facing off in the final game of the World Baseball Classic 
pretty awesome. And it was the final out, right? The final out. And did you see the look on Trout's face? Man, he was pissed. He was pissed. Strikes out Trout. Japan wins another World Baseball Classic. And this, look, both have great players. You could argue the two best baseball players in the world faced off in that final out last night of the World Baseball Classic. One run game, two outs, top of the ninth, Trout versus Otani. It was great. It's great theater. And the Americans have proved that they can win this whole thing. They did it the last time. They were your defending champs. They reached all the way to the championship game. But after watching last night's game, it was a close game, a great game, another great game for the World Baseball Classic. Why has Japan been able to dominate the World Baseball Classic? What is it about their style of play, the type of players they have, that has allowed them to win now three of the five? And the other two times, they essentially finished with the bronze. No one else is even close. Like, no one else is even close. Is it their style of play? Is it something that they're doing? I don't know. I mean, the Americans have had generational talent on their team as well. Otani's great, but Trout's great too. We've had that discussion on this show. I'm going to open it up to Dawson here, who looks thrilled to be here this morning. Looks thrilled. <laughs> now it's mine. Now it's mine. <laughs> it looks thrilled. To want to talk about World Baseball Classic. By the way, I didn't even touch a button. It just automatically started. That's how started. they get you, really. That's how they get me. Yeah, why no, do, you think, I, why, why do well, you think Japan has been so good at on this stage? I think part of it is everyone in Japan who is capable of playing, it seems like, plays. Uh, they have their best players, which the U.S., certainly the lineup was stacked, but you didn't have any... Um, premier pitchers, really. You had a couple of guys. I mean, look, the U.S. threw forty-one-year-old Adam Wainwright in the semifinals, and he got the job done. But like, that's Ooh. not that's not your option A or B, right? Jacob Degrom didn't participate. Um, you know, Kershaw didn't participate. Not that he would necessarily be your for- first choice at this point in his career either. But the point being, there was plenty of guys who didn't show up um, from a pitching standpoint, and apparently a couple of those were team-related, where they basically told the players they weren't going to be allowed to do it, and a couple of them, of course, were just players deciding not to. You know, think about a guy like Justin Verlander. He could have been used in this tournament, so that plays into it. Uh, but at the end of the day, the U.S. lost a 3-2 game, so you can't really say it was on the pitching. Their lineup didn't get it done against... You know, again, Imaga is a guy who is pitching in Japan and is one of the better pitchers in Japan, but he's not a major league player, and so you would imagine that the major league players would have success against him. Now, sometimes, and it was talked about, one of the reasons they didn't start you Darvish is that all the American players have faced you Darvish yep. and know you Darvish. And so the opportunity for them to throw a guy who these hitters haven't faced – you know, was intriguing to them, and it seemed like it certainly worked. Now, look, he didn't throw 
eight and a third innings, right? He gave them a nice start, and then they kind of bridged it to a couple other guys, and then they got to Darvish, and then they got to Otani. Um, it was an incredible game, though, and I think um, something to, to, to kind of elevate this event, I think we saw that throughout. This was certainly the best one, I would say. Um, had more buzz around it. Had more great games. Yes, and right. now. Overall. Yeah, now I would love to see the format tweaked and, and kind of revisit, which they did for this one. This this event had more teams than the last one, and so they've, they right. have been open to tweaking it. I would like to see them do that a little bit more, maybe kind of redesign the pools and kind of just create a little bit more intrigue with the pool play because I thought pool play was a little muddy and it was also confusing. Certainly the scheduling needs to be revisited, and I'm oh, yeah. sure they're going to because that just – it was really awkward. Now, Japan was the team that, quote-unquote, got the disadvantage – of having to play back to back, and they ended up winning the whole tournament. So you know they overcame that. Now the U.S. kind of had the weird disadvantage earlier in the tournament. It was just it was just weird and clunky the way they scheduled. The it, the the here here's a couple things. The scheduling needs to be fixed. There's no reason why teams are playing in semifinals on different days. It, it, it just makes no sense. Quarterfinals, semifinals, everyone else can figure this out. Okay, so you can figure it out. I know why they're doing it because they wanted to have different TV days. Okay, I, I I get it, but you can figure it out where one game is played at four o'clock and the other one's played at nine. Okay, just 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 make it happen. Okay. The scheduling. I also felt this. Look, we knew about the World Baseball Classic because we follow sports and we're baseball guys. I don't feel like they did a great job promoting the World Baseball Classic. And I also don't feel like when I talk to people outside of the studio, outside of our bubble here at the game, a lot of people don't know about it. Yeah, right? I would agree. And so they got to figure out in between now and 2026 how to fix that. How to figure out because there was great theater. It was great games. Even though I know it's glorified spring training, you can have that argument if you want. But it, if you're a baseball fan, it was it was some great stuff, right? The general public didn't know about it. Well, that's I, a problem. Yeah, I would definitely say that. And even look, even me trying to find information for the shows and stuff, the MLB's website wasn't clearly. No. Again, the the dates were confusing because you, now you had games starting early in the morning because of time zone differences, so that was part of it. But the information was a little bit confusing to get to, and I even, you know, as someone who followed it closely and knew what was generally going on, I was str I was going, wait a minute, why is this game this time? But I will say to you know maybe the uh, certainly the American audience needs to have better marketing, but. Last night was I, I'm you know I'm sure the official numbers haven't come in, but it was largely assumed to be the most watched baseball game in the history of the world. So uh, at the same time, other countries responded. Japan was all in. Um, it was big you know, big TV audience for Mexico for their run as well. Yes. Yeah. So I mean right. that's a crazy thing to think about, right? I'm talking about a base you know a sport that's over 100 years old, and you're talking about last night that a lot of people necessarily didn't care about over here though was literally the most watched baseball game that's ever been played on planet Earth. That's Correct. that's insane. It is insane. Something else that has to be done. And look, Rob Manford, who I strongly typically disagree with and want to throat punch at any moment. He's on my list. I actually agree with what he said last night. Before the game, 
he talked about, yes, 100% World Baseball Classic comes back in 2026. Great. It's awesome. Very excited. He also said he liked to see more stars playing in the tournament, particularly on the pitching side. Quote, it's great the guys that we have, but I'd like to see pitching staffs that are the same quality as our position players, end quote. I don't disagree. I, right. I, I, I don't. Here's, this is going to come off as arrogant American. There shouldn't be a reason why the United States isn't on the same level as Japan when it comes to the World Baseball Classic. They didn't even have great pitching, and they still nearly won the whole thing. Imagine if they just had one more guy. Imagine if they had someone like a Verlander of that caliber. They probably win it. So I actually agree with, I can't believe I'm actually saying this this morning, I actually agree with Manford here that you got to get the pitchers there. Like like, like you put, they, they, they brought out 41-year-old Adam Wainwright. Like, that's your best option in the semifinals? Like, well, really? And you, and you threw a journeyman. I mean, Merrill Kelly's been a, you know, a good, reliable guy but for a few years But he's a journeyman, dude. Yeah. I mean, a guy. And so Japan is bringing their best. Mexico is bringing their best. Venezuela bringing their best. Dominican Republic brings their best. Puerto Rico brings their best. Cuba brings their best. Well, Cuba is a little bit more complicated because of the government. But for the most part, every country brings out their best. The Americans, great lineup. Their best hitter, probably the entire World Baseball Classic, was the nine-hole hitter. At least that's how it ended up being. Great lineup. Amazing. Awesome. You got journeymen and 41-year-olds out there pitching. And I think we're seeing a shift in that, though, because we saw the... This was the first time this event really took on as as much center stage as it did with the excitement, and I think we saw the buzz start to build. Now, the other issue with an event like this is you now have to allow that buzz to build over the course of three years, which it would usually be four years, right, if this wasn't pushed back. So Correct. That becomes an issue. They're going to reset the schedule. That's why it's going to be in 2026. Instead of four years away, it'll only be three. But... Number one, you started to see, first of all, a lot of comments of players telling you how much it meant to them, and I think that was awesome to see that. I do think we see more pitchers come into it. I think maybe the clubs see what kind of marketing this is for their players and maybe see it as an opportunity to send their players as opposed to uh, being scared to send their players. Maybe well, a couple like of the, the injuries. Astros didn't allow Framer Valdez to go. Right, and, and there were certain situations. I mean, and there was tons of Astros players there, so it wasn't like they just said we're not allowing guys to but go. Once again, but, that was a pitcher. That's yeah. going to be the big hurdle. Now they is. let Luis Garcia play though, and so there mm-hmm. was other things. I think obviously, if a guy's dealing with a with a little nagging injury, that's the problem here. Though you're not going to, you know, send a guy who's got something going on, given the the risk that that would then have, because if, especially if a guy wouldn't have been playing in spring training games, but. A couple of things you already saw. Mike Trout already said, I'm back. I'm coming back. I'll, I'll be whatever they want me to do. If they want me to, you know, whatever role it is, starting bench, I'm going to be on the team in 2026, which is great. Because, again, Trout's a guy who we haven't – we like to see more of him. And, obviously, in big games we don't get to see him, unfortunately, because his team's terrible. But um, him just being a part of it I thought was special. 
there's there's a but the other thing too with the position players there's a handful of guys you'd like you know maybe Bryce Harper can be there next time but like for the most part they had the guys like that was the lineup mm-hmm. that's almost the lineup you would just put together if you're just saying let's put together our best lineup maybe you'd have a couple of guys plugged in here and there but that was awesome so overall I think it's it's growing and again I will be uh, excited to see some of those pitchers and I wouldn't be surprised if you hear of some big names already kind of committing early next time around. Now, of course, it's going to be a year or two down the road, but uh, I, I expect to see a better pitching staff in the U.S. to uh, try to bring their best effort in the next one. You And we'll wrap it up with this because I know we have to hit our timeout. You know what else I would like to see beforehand? Could we take a week before the World Baseball Classic and do like a little caravan meet and greet kind of thing with some of the players you don't have to go through all, all the entire country, but you could have pockets set like have the Astro players, both the Americans and the guys that are going to play on international teams, just do a little caravan to promote the World Baseball Classic. Like I don't think it would be that much to do to put on. You could have guys on the West Coast be out there and just kind of get the word out. Like, hey, have meet and greets. Come meet Jose Altuve or come meet Kyle Tucker or whatever it is like that. So you can get fans of those players, fans of those teams that they play for, but it also gets the world out, uh, the word out rather about the World Baseball Classic. That couldn't hurt, right? It couldn't hurt. Japan wins it three to two as they win their third World Baseball Classic. They've won three of them. The other two times they finished as third. They're the standard. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, oh, what do we else got for you? Maybe we're going to unveil the foodie poll question of the week and talk a little Raging Cajuns baseball. Yeah, that's what we're going to do. That's next. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Our strike zone discipline. I don't know how many walks we drew tonight, but... uh... How many walks we have? Eight, eight, several hit batters. They provided a lot of opportunity for us, and then we were able to just start cashing in. Used our legs really well tonight, and I think we had 10 more stolen bases, and uh, that's been a big plus for us. So, uh, But, yeah, I like the way Sam Hill threw the baseball. David Christie, I thought, was about to throw immaculate inning right there, and the kid fouled the ball off. Uh, able to get two freshmen in at the back, which was good, get their feet wet, and uh, – you know, keep this thing rolling. Louisiana Raging Cajuns skipper Matt Deggs, after his team defeated Grambling 13-1 to in a midweek matchup. Not much of a contest. Cajuns, obviously, the far better team. Julian Brock, uh, let me ask you, you're a baseball guy like I am, but I just need confirmation here, Dawson. Are you ready? Okay. It's time for you to use those two degrees is having six RBIs in a single game, is that a good night at the dish? Well, I'll answer your question with a question. Is hitting two home runs in one inning good? 
<laughs> yeah. Is that oh. ideal? It's optimal, yes. There's it, not much more he could have done in that inning, huh? No. No. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that type of I look, I was never a good enough athlete, but can you imagine being able to hit two dingers in one inning? Well, you know what was fun when when I played, you know, back in the glory days a few years ago? Um, our high school team, like we were, we were pretty decent, and so, but we had a handful of teams that we played every year that were horrible. So you know, you get a couple of run rule innings, but you know where the where the lineups going back and forth. And what was really exciting was when a guy on our team would make an out early in the inning, and we'd bat around. And now this guy comes back up, and now the pressure's on him to not make two outs in a single inning. And we always used to make fun of guys if you came back up, like here you go, you might make two out of the three outs in this inning. You so can't we, beat that guy. It, yeah, that's when you you go back up. You're looking, man. I gotta I gotta get on base somehow. I gotta draw a walk or something. But yeah, the flip side of that is going ahead and just hitting a grand slam, and then you know, well, the grand slam was second. Hit a hit a homer first, and then when I came back around and decided he wanted more, wanted more, hit a home run, and then a grand slam in the same inning. Yes, thirteen to one, sound victory for the Raging Cajuns. As let's be honest, a little expected, right? We we thought. That would be the case. And, you know, Julian Brock had himself a night, the two dingers, the six RBIs, and Deggs talked about what his star was able to do. Oh, man, he's a big leaguer for sure. And, uh, you know, he still has a lot to improve on with his game as far as, you know, receiving and just the finer parts of catching. But, you know, he finished the season so well offensively. He's got a natural in the outswing where the ball can travel he never has to jump out uh he can see pitches longer than anybody we have and uh that's what he did all fall what you're seeing now and he that's the way he finished the year last year the the howling in the The background russo park concerts after the games have got to be reeled in here (laughs) not only was there music in the background there was also some howling going on Apparently, werewolves are hanging out at, at, at the Teague these days. I'm not for sure. Uh, not a great start for Sam Hill on the bump, right? Uh, you never want to start your game by hitting a batter and then walking the next one to put two on with nobody out. And Grambling actually scored first in this game, right? Uh, Trevor hadn't hit a sack fly to straight center to score a run for Grambling and give them an early 1-0 lead now. He settled down, but Deggs talked about how his starting pitcher gave his thoughts on his performance. We really did, and he validated his outing against Mississippi State, which I wanted to see. Uh, That's pretty much how he pitched at Mississippi State, except he went a little bit deeper. Uh, And, you know, take away a couple of the freebies. I thought it was a really good four-pitch mix, kept him off balance. One hit, maybe, I think, one. Uh, You know, he's starting to look the part. So we just got to build that pitch count, and, and there's a mean streak in there somewhere, too. And when that compete matches his stuff, he's going to be a good one. Key right there what he said. There's a mean streak in there somewhere. What does that tell you? Deggs sees potential in the young man. He knows he's got that dog inside of him. It's just figuring out how to get it out. That's what it boils down to. Maybe that's what the wolf howling was. (laughs) That's what the wolf howling was. But, you know, Deggs likes his guys to to have an edge, right? Because he has an edge. He likes his team to be that way. 
he's sitting there telling you, hey, this guy has the potential to be one of those guys for us. He's just got to let it out, so to speak. He's got to kind of get out of his own way and embrace being that dog that we know that he can be. Which, still plenty of time in the season for that to happen. Cajuns win big against Grambling in a midweek contest. They'll get back to action tonight against Southeastern Louisiana. We'll have that game covered for you as well at 1037thegame.com and 1041thegame.com. Over in Baton Rouge, LSU had its hands full for a little while in a midweek contest against UCA, Central Arkansas. Do you believe Central Arkansas plays on blue t- uh, purple turf, I do believe, for football? I don't think they do that for baseball. But Jordan Thompson hit a three-run home run in the bottom of the fifth, which broke open a 4-4 tie there at Alex Box Stadium, and that helped lift LSU to a 10-4 win over Central Arkansas. LSU improved to 19-2 on the year. Central Arkansas dropped to 11-9. And, and LSU returns to action on Friday when they host Arkansas for a key three-game SEC series at the box. Once again, score tied 4-4. Kind of classic midweek game for LSU, right? Sometimes we've seen them over the years, especially under Paul Maneri, where those midweek games kind of makes Tiger fans a little nervous. They go, oh, why are we struggling against Northwestern State? And it's like, yeah, well, it's a midweek game. <laughs> Just... Pump the brakes. Let's 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 take it easy. LSU designated here Jared Jones and left fielder Braden Jobert each drew two out walks, which set the stage for the three run blast by Thompson. Can you imagine? You got two outs and you give up back to back walks. Ugh, that's going to be one that that the UCA pitcher is going to be feeling for a couple of days. But they respond. They get the win, and you know what? That's good. Look, for a team like LSU, midweek games really don't matter. They just don't. That's just the reality of the situation. They really don't matter. But to keep the train moving, getting guys some reps that may not typically get them, it's always a good thing. And finally, the Minis Cowboys They hosted Houston last night at Joe Miller Ballpark. Cougars raced out to an 8-0 lead through the first five innings. McNeese then kind of woke up offensively, but it wasn't enough. It was too little too late as the Cougars were able to beat the Cowboys 9-6. The loss snapped to the Cowboys' 11-game home winning streak and a seven-game winning streak overall. They are now 15-6 on the season. Houston, meanwhile, won their fourth straight to improve to 9-11. McNeese was held to just one hit until the sixth inning when the bats opened up with a two-run single by Andrew Gonzalez to cut the margin to 8-2. Elliott Abair followed with a a run-scoring double to make it 8-3. Then in the seventh, Taylor Darden got himself a two-run double. Over on the third, He scored on that play, so did Josh Leslie. Payne Harden singled and stole second, but it wasn't enough. But once again, good midweek contest for McNeese. Kanan Morrow got tagged with the loss after giving up five runs on four hits and three innings of work while striking out three and walking three. McNeese 
will continue its 12-game homestand this weekend when it actually begins Southland Conference play with Nichols coming to town for a three-game set starting on Friday at 6 o'clock. we got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we will unveil the foodie poll question of the week, which is our poll question of the day on Wednesdays. We'll also talk a little New Orleans Saints. It's all next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on The Game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Yeah, well, actually, uh, when I was talking to Tyron, um, that's what we were talking about a little bit, too, and just, like, the attacking nature um, of the defense. And uh, I've, I've uh, kind of been a read-and-react type of player up until now, um, just as far as, you know, playing with, uh, obviously, Chris Jones. <laughs> you know, you got to be a little more reactionary. And, but that's, that's, that's the type of defense that you're in. And so um, I think the main difference that me and Tyron was talking about was just, how you really get to get after it. You know, you really um, can pin your ears back and, like, everybody is, is picking up um, the, the havoc from everybody. You know what I mean? So it's not like a, um, you know, one person or uh, one group type of thing. It's like, you know, the bullets flying everywhere, man. And, and that's why I like, I like that type of defense because it's just so one, – one, I feel like it's easier to get acclimated to a defense like that because when your number one um, goal is just – effort and flying around that makes it easy to learn the defense you know and so um but yeah I think um you know I'm excited about that as far as this type of defense and and then also just it being such a historic defensive team you know a, a historic defensive city you know um that's it's beautiful man I, I I uh had the luxury of playing with an offensive team and it's beautiful it's fun but I am excited to get to some traditional defense for sure Colin Saunders, new defensive tackle for the New Orleans Saints, talking to the media a few days back. Man, I like this guy. And if I'm a Saints fan, I think you're really going to like this guy because the more I read about him, the more I hear from him, man, he sure does seem like a prototypical Saints guy. And what I mean by that is, you know, the Saints have always routinely liked small school guys. Right? They've always found these guys that other teams kind of bypass. And, and here's an example of, of this guy. Saunders went to Western Illinois, by the way. Did you even know there was a Western Illinois college? Did you even know that there was a Western Illinois program that played football? Did you know that? Leatherneck, by the way, great name, great name. And this is a guy who is became the first player from his small school to ever be invited to the Senior Bowl. And he recorded the sack in the Senior Bowl of Will Greer. He also picked up exposure that offseason because if you remember, he became a viral sensation for backflipping. By the way, he's six foot, three hundred twenty-four pounds. 
Adam Schefter captured it on his Twitter account and amassed like 7,000 likes. But this is a humble guy. Also, by the way, shout out to the Honey Badger for recruiting. By the way, they were teammates in Kansas City. Saunders hits up the Honey Badger, and the Honey Badger says, yeah, man, you want to come play here. So, shout out to Tyron for, for doing that. But Colin is big dude, right? Six foot, 324 pounds. A beefy lad, as Kevin Foote would say. Third round pick. Dealt with injuries early in his career. Became a good rotational player for the Kansas City Chiefs. Had some early issues, right? Dislocated his elbow in the 2021 season in week one. So missed a bunch of time then. So he was somewhat healthy last year. Good rotational guy. And he can get to the quarterback from the D tackle spot. Like Anytime you can find a guy that is that big that can get to the quarterback and it's just not a run stuffer because he can stuff the run. But this is a guy who can also get to the quarterback. And he's played alongside great pass rushers. As you mentioned, he mentioned Mr. Jones. He's going to fit right in playing next to Cam Jordan. If I'm Cam Jordan, I'm thrilled about this guy coming to play with me. Like, well, and Cam Jordan's been vocal on Twitter about how he wanted defensive tackle help and defensive line help. Like, he's not a guy who's at the point in his career where he's, you know, feeling like, oh, I don't want another defensive lineman coming in. He wants help, right? He's like, I know what I am and what my role is. I want help. And he also knows that. He needs help in that he's getting to the point of his career where he's going to probably play less snaps or need to play less snaps, right? He, he's he's going to be transitioning soon to that type of role. So he understands that they're going to need some help. And Saunders talked about what he can bring to the team, what he can bring to the black and gold. Yeah, um, well, on the field, um, obviously, you can tell by my body I'm more of a run player. <laughs> Uh, big body, um, you know, I, I definitely uh, use violence in my hands and stuff like that. And then also just uh, athleticism, just raw athleticism. And I take pride in being an athlete. Um, I always kind of not played the right position I was supposed to until I got to the league, you know what I mean? So um, I definitely take pride in that and just uh, kind of catching people off guard when, you know, you're thinking like, oh, he's going to be a mauler or whatever. And then kind of got some good feet to, to kind of get around. So. Uh, yeah, that's on the field, and then off the field, man. Like I said, I'm I'm a unifier. You know, I, uh, you know, Tyron can speak to it. Uh, TK can speak to it. You know, those are two guys that, that uh, Dan, all of those three guys that I played with before, and even as a rookie. I mean, um, when I when I came in, it was just kind of the gravitational pull that we all pulled each other together and um, kind of you know just capitalize off of that and, and make a real unit and make a real bond, and so. Off the field, uh, I think that's, like I said, those three guys will tell you kind of about that, and you guys will find out, you know, over the weeks. But that's, you know, that's what I bring, man. I bring brotherhood. I went to a really small school in college, and that was the whole four years there is brotherhood. I bring up the small school, and he brought it up as well. You know what I typically find with guys that come from the small schools? They tend to work harder, right? It's not to say that guys 
the, the the more naturally gifted or more athletic guys, the guys the the five star blue chips that go to the SEC schools like LSU and Alabama and Texas and USC don't work hard. That's not what I'm saying. But you typically find small school guys, and think of the Saints, like with Marcus Colston, right? Teron Armstead, some of the, you know, Jari Evans. Those aren't big school guys, right? And the small school guys feel like they got a chip on their shoulder because they got to work just a little extra harder. Even though they may be on the same page athletically, they have to change preconceived notions about them. They have to put in a little extra work. I like having guys like that on my roster. And the man says he likes to play with violence in his hands. That's what you want to hear from a lineman. My man says he likes to play with violence with his hands. Yes, that's exactly what you need. You need someone that's going to be a snarling junkyard dog up across the defensive line. I want dogs. I want mean and ugly across the line of scrimmage. And Saunders is just going to be one of those guys because the Saints keep doing small little moves. And I keep getting told that they have no money. But yet yesterday we find out that the Saints announced that they had signed Jonathan Abram and Storm Norton and then bringing back Malcolm Roach re-signed with the team. Now, Abram, that could be a guy that could get cut during camp. Let's be real for a second. He was a first-round pick of the Oakland Raiders back in 2019, but he's bounced around. He's played for the Packers and the Seahawks as well. He Actually, he played for both of those teams in 2022. Okay, So this is a guy that not many people want. But... He's a veteran, gives you some experience. He's recorded 267 total tackles, 13 passes deflected. Once again, he could be just a guy that comes in for camp purposes. That's going to be an extra body. It feels like they're anticipating P.J. Williams walking. So you're bringing in a backup. But once again, you're adding, able to add depth, right? And other teams wanted him, but he decided to come to the Saints. Storm Norton. Big offensive lineman who went undrafted in 2017. He's bounced around the league as well. This is simply a depth guy, right? He's played for the Lions, the Cardinals, the Vikings. He was also drafted in the XFL, the 2.0 version, not the 3.0 version now with The Rock. And of all the moves that make the most sense, Malcolm Roach. Other teams wanted Malcolm Roach. He's coming back on a one-year deal. So you went from having no D-tackles, and in a span of a week, now all of a sudden you got four of them. Remember how everyone was freaking out about that? How you feel now? There it is. What do I say all the time? What do I say? I say trust Mickey. They're not going to get a lot of headlines, but they're the type of moves you need to make to make the roster work. Got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up as we'll unveil the foodie poll question of the week. That's next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 came to the station this morning to do only two things. Kick some ass and drink some beer. Looks like we're almost out of beer. Well, it's kind of early for the latter, isn't it? Maybe. Probably. Maybe just a root beer. 
or some flavored water. Back to more kick-ass sports talk with RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The poll question of the day on Wednesdays is always our foodie poll question of the week. What is your favorite hot dog-related item? Is it the classic hot dog? Dog bun. Is it a corn dog? Is it a pigs in a blanket? Or is it other? Right now, leading the vote, classic hot dog. Followed behind pigs in a blanket with 26% of the vote. And 16% of the vote goes to corn dog. 13% says other. Martin on the Twitter says, corn dog and sorcerers are saying this poll question is not Louis Prejean approved. No, it is not because he did not care for hot dogs. JPK, the OD says, obviously, you mean besides spaghetti with a little hot dogs cut up in it, right? If so, it's the classic dog with chili cheese and mustard. <laughs> oh, man. He used to take leftover hot dogs and put them in beans. Make beanie weenies. Yeah. Back in the day, too. Yeah, my sister is horrified of hot dogs. Horrified? Because, well, see, in elementary school, she got a moldy. There was a moldy wiener one time on a hot dog, and um, that kind of scarred her for life. She took a bite and saw the mold on the, uh, or maybe it was on the bun, whatever. It would have to be the bun. Yeah, right. But um, whatever it was, she hasn't eaten a hot dog since the fourth grade, so... It's always a conversation. We always do hot dogs and chili. You know, that's a big thing. And, I, and she just eats the chili, no hot dog. No hot dog at all. No nothing. Oh, yeah. you poor you And that poor was, sister. I mean, talk about 15 years ago. <laughs> Last time she ate a hot dog. So ah, that's how I know what to get your sister uh, for a gift. Um, a whole thing of chili uh, cheese uh, uh, conies from Sonic. It's the chili on the hot dog, in my opinion. Good chili makes all the difference as well as Lejeune's or French bread buns. Also underrated are pretzel dogs. That's Ralph on Twitter. He says, since hot dogs are and baseball are synonymous, Rob Manford must be extremely proud of both teams executing the script to perfection in last night's WBC championship. Too bad Trout floundered. I mean, look. He, he, he got struck out by it a great was pitcher. maybe the nastiest slider in the history of the world. That thing was unreal. Oh, that was that was nasty. Ton says, "Okay, cut up hot dogs, get spaghetti, run uncooked spaghetti through pieces, cook as normal, serve with spaghetti sauce. You're welcome. Don't knock it till you try it. Keep those votes coming on our foodie poll question of the week. Keep those comments coming as well. Leave them on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll make sure to share them throughout today's show." Hour number one on this hump day edition of RP3 Companies in the Books. Hour number two coming up right here on the game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything going to be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Japan edges USA in the World Baseball Classic final as Japan wins the WBC for the third time in five tries and 
Team USA is unable to win back-to-back WBC titles. It ends with Otani striking out his teammate, Mike Trout, at the plate with some absolute filth. Japan is the standard bearer when it comes to WBC. But can they build off the excitement that, in particular, this World Baseball Classic was able to capture? Had great games. Just not involving the Americans, but other teams as well. Great games, great drama, great theater. Can you build off of that? Because you're not going to have to wait four years. It's going to be a simple three-year turnaround. Because remember, this year's tournament was delayed a year because of the pandemic. So there'll be a quicker turnaround. They'll play again in 2026. Can they build off the momentum that occurred the last few weeks? They got to do things differently. That's for sure. Hey, you got to get some actual quality pitching for the Americans. That would be helpful. If you're throwing out 41-year-old Adam Wainwright, mm, nah. The lineup was filthy, but Japan had the better team. Plain and simple. So that's one thing that you got to fix. How about better promoting it? We talked about that in hour number one here on RP3 and Company Day. How about better promoting the product? I can't tell you how many people asked me, one, when was the World Baseball Classic on? Two, what round are they in? Like, like if you, unless you were really, really paying attention, you really didn't know. Even Dawson, and we've established here on RP3 and Company in a short amount of time that he's got a big brain. And even he, the D-Lo, struggled to find information sometimes on the World Baseball Classic. You had quarterfinals. You had some teams punching their ticket to semifinals before other teams were even done with pool play. They didn't even got to quarterfinal round yet. And yet the Americans have to play it quarters semis back-to-back nights while Japan had the extra day rest it's just like what figure out the scheduling figure out how to better promote it as well too you had a great product you had a great product got to seize the opportunity now in front of you will they do it well and just to throw in on that rest like weird scheduling thing also you you had which I agree with, but you had pitching limits in place based on days of rest and stuff with number of pitches. So you really can't be giving that type of advantage. I don't think it ended up having a huge impact because the guy, you know, again, Team USA's pitching staff wasn't loaded anyway. But like in a situation where a guy needs a certain number of days of rest to be eligible to pitch again, you cannot give extra days rest to one team in the finals. It's just, it didn't make any sense. It didn't make any sense. The scheduling. The lack of promotion and the fact that they really dropped the ball getting the word out. Look, if you're a diehard baseball guy, you and I are diehard baseball guys. Kevin Foote's a diehard baseball guy. We've talked about the World Baseball Classic for weeks. We know about it. We watch it. We know how to find it. But even then, it was still a struggle. If it's a struggle for diehard baseball guys to get the information needed to watch the product that you're putting out there, you're probably not doing a good job promoting it. Rule of thumb. 
And you got to build off of this. Have some caravans. Do the old Saints caravans that they used to do. I wish they would bring those back, but now that they sell out season tickets, they don't need to. That's a discussion for another day. God forbid you go out there and hold big events and get your fans to, you know, show them that you appreciate them. But that's a discussion for another day. I won't go into that rant. But why not do something like that leading up to the WBC to get the word out? Do it regionally. Astro players can take care of Texas and Louisiana. You have guys from the Braves and take care of that portion. Florida, like, you could get it out and have a couple weeks of guys going out, doing autograph signings, taking pictures, getting the word out about the World Baseball Classic. Do things like you said. How about unveiling the uniforms on social media? Do a better job on social media. Unveiling the uniforms. Unveiling the rosters. Like, they got to figure out how to better promote this thing because the baseball was really, really good, borderline great. You got to do a better job promoting your product. Let's head out to the game hotline where Randy waits for us. Randy, good morning to you, brother. What's on your mind, my friend? Well, good morning. I, I, I want to take you to task a little bit on Adam Wainwright. He, he was 2-0 and in the World Baseball Classic and pretty dominant. But I understand he's still he's Randy. He's still forty one years old, right? Right. And uh, you know, when you get past Lance Lynn, Adam Wainwright, and Miles Michaelis, the rest of the starting pitching staff did not do that well in this World Baseball Classic, and um, they had no closers. Where was Hader? Where was Helsley? Where were those guys? They they weren't in there. So yeah, they need better pitching. They definitely need better pitching. But I got to tell you. Another thing that we that I noticed in the first round when they played Team Mexico in Arizona, that game was sold out way in advance. But it was a seventy five percent Team Mexico crowd, so obviously yeah. they were a lot higher up on it than we were as far as the, the excitement goes. Um, and then we got killed because it wasn't one of those three pitchers I just mentioned. But uh, that being said, my favorite moment in the World Baseball Classic was the very first game against Great Britain. I saw some fans in the stands wearing Revolutionary War outfits. It was so funny. I loved that. <laughs> that was pretty good. That was pretty good. Yeah, look, look, and look, Adam did pitch well in the World Baseball Classic, but I mean, you know, I mean, this last year he was 11-12, and 12, right? In ERA, a nearly four. So he's, he's not the guy that he once was, but he pitched well for the Americans. But you got to have other guys out there, right? You got to have like Jacob DeGrom out there pitching. You got to have some of those other top flight guys want to be part of this and more importantly, have their teams allow them to be part of it. Well, and don't forget though, Clayton Kershaw was on this team, but he's got some kind of crazy insurance that, you know, something about injuries where, you know, his baseball contract doesn't matter. He's going to get paid whether he's hurt or not. But he has some kind of crazy insurance on top of that for if he gets hurt. And the insurance company said, we're not going to cover you. So he had to pull out of the yeah, tournament. That's fa- that's I guarantee fair. you guys like DeGrom and, and Berlander have that same thing going on. There's just too much money involved. Um, but, yeah, I'd love to see some of the younger pitchers. You know, there are pitchers out there that were in the All-Star game last year that could have been on the World Baseball uh, Classic team. Uh, hey, I love Adam Wainwright and his career that he's had, and he did pitch great. But he's not an all-star right now. He's not at the top of the American game. That's fair. That's fair. Randy, great point, brother. Thank you for your phone call. I hope you enjoy your day, bud. You too. Good morning. You know, that's also part of it that maybe we need to kind of dive into. The the pitching, right? Because we know 
the Astros did not allow or strongly recommended for Framer Valdez not to go pitch for his home country. And so he abided by it because he's now the ace of the staff. There's some insurance claims on a lot of these guys, but if you're the owners and the general managers and you're spending, you know, a bazillion dollars on your pitching staff, do you want them pitching in the World Baseball Classic? That's a fair that's a fair question to ask. I mean, maybe that's maybe that's going to be a legitimate hurdle that they won't be able to overcome. Yeah. I kind of understand that, but the other thing that's like, and so, so, you know, another topic of conversation here has been when the Diaz injury happened and the Altuve injury happened, people said, oh, you should play in November after the World Series. First of all, no guy's going to play in November no, after yeah, the World everybody, Series. Yeah, everybody, that's vacation. I mean, first of all, and you just finished a 162 gr- game grind of a season, plus, you know, plus 20 the playoffs. playoffs games. Plus the playoffs. You, you, you think Kyle Tucker and Jose Altuve are going right. to take I mean, part in, in the World Baseball Classic in November after the grind they go through one six of, straight ALCSs? That ain't happening. One of the big appeals of this tournament, and I think getting position players to play, is that you were getting guys to play who would have already been playing spring training games anyway. But now, okay, now you're getting at bats against really good pitching in competitive situations with the adrenaline flowing and the and you know and the vibes, of course, being playoff like vibes. That's a big difference. So my argument for the pitching would be, okay, maybe you bring a guy like Degrom in, and you know what? Maybe he doesn't go. And again, we have pitch cap limits on the the, the number of pitches these guys go, right. but. If you can work it out with the team, and you know, of course, Mark DeRosa was the manager of Team USA. We'll see if he's back or whoever's managing the team can go to those front offices and say, "Look, we're only going to throw Degrom what he would have been throwing in spring training anyway for you guys. If y'all want us to only throw him thirty pitches, <coughs> all right, we'll cap him at thirty pitches. If you want us to do whatever, but like have those guys, and maybe the World Baseball Classic can do something about expanding the pitching roster side of things if that's the case. Um, now, I didn't feel like the U.S. had any shortage of guys, but. I think there are ways to do it. The other thing is, if you're a big fan of this event like I am, you got to be rooting for all the guys that just played in this tournament to go out and tear it up in April and May. And maybe teams can say, oh, wow, that kind of gets our guys ramped up. Like, Trey Turner's the hottest hitter on the planet right now. Does he carry that over? I hope you know, not. Does he have a, well, I know you don't. <laughs> but for the sake of the game, I'm hoping Trey Turner you know, keeps rolling, and I'm hoping Mike Trout has a hot start and things like that. And then, yeah, Adam Wainwright, look, there, I think he should have been on this roster, right? But he should have been like the seventh or eighth guy. He should have been the the... Locker room selection, you know what I mean? The captain's choice. Oh, yeah, Wainwright's on the roster. He might give us a few innings if we need him, but he's more of a veteran presence, you know, just there for the, you know, the uh, the Udonis Haslam of the Team USA baseball oh, roster. Nice. nice. Right? The guy who sticks around. <clears throat> but instead, which, hey, he stepped up, and that's what, you know, he's arguably a future Hall of Famer for a reason, but he shouldn't have been the, the number two starting option on the roster, you know, and, and, and we I think we can agree on that. And I would I would definitely guess that, more guys are going to play based on the success of this year's event. What do you make, though, <clears throat> of, you know, he mentioned it, that first game against Mexico was like 75% for Mexico in Arizona. Now, I've experienced that as well in another sport, and that would be soccer. MLS All-Star game in Houston at NRG back in the day. They played Manchester United, the uh, B team. It was right after the World Cup. It was filled, filled, jam-packed. One of the loudest events I've ever been to. And it was filled with people from Mexico or first-generation Mexican-Americans. Well, isn't it interesting how 
Like, I don't know what it is, but fan bases and, and fans of, of teams seem to show up for events when they're not supposed to be the big dogs of the event. Like, I don't know if that, if mm. I, because think about this Team USA had a great showing in Qatar for the World Cup, right? All the Team USA games had a great, the U.S. crowds kind of overwhelmed the opposing crowds. And Team, and USA is supposed to be the country that doesn't care about soccer at all. But yet, there were big U.S. crowds at those events. And I'm guessing maybe part of that is just because the U.S. hasn't won anything in the World Cup forever. So people are like, man, I want to be, I want to see the first time it's done. And so I guess for the Mexico fans, which again, it's Arizona from Mexico is not going across the country or across the world the way it would have been for Japan fans to travel over. So I think that's part of it. It's pretty conveniently located. You know, I mean, the only place it could have been closer than the play would have been if they played in Houston or something like that. So I think that's part of it. And then again, we have talked about that this means a little bit more in other countries, and that's mm. we're working on that here. But think about, again, like I said, in Japan, it was the most watched baseball game and one of the most watched sporting events ever in, in Japan for the semifinals and throughout this tournament. So that's something that needs to be worked on. But I think people came around. But again, like you said, I think it's one of those situations where a lot of people said, like probably kind of found out that everything was going on like yesterday and two days before, and then they were like, oh, well, the U.S. is playing. What's going on? And then they go, oh, they're in the championship game, and then, oh, it's oh, over. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was, oh, that's going on? Okay, maybe I'll tune in. Once again, they did not do a good job promoting. And we could argue Major League Baseball does not do a good job of promoting itself nationally. It has become a regional sport again. For years, it was the national pastime. Now it's a regional pastime. You still have teams like the St. Louis Cardinals and the Houston Astros and all, it, whatever market you want to be in. You could go to Kansas City. By the way, Kauffman Stadium is a, a nice older stadium. They sell out. They sell tickets, and their teams are there regionally. But it, it's baseball has gotten lazy in its promotional, where it was the big dog for so long, and it didn't adjust. And it doesn't know how to keep up with the NFL and the NBA on how to market itself. Baseball people still love baseball. Like, I, don't, I haven't stopped loving baseball. It's actually grown the older I've gotten. So I'm always going to watch baseball. But how do you get the fair weather sports fan to tune into the World Baseball Classic? You got to promote it better. You got to get the word out. And you got to schedule it better. Can't be having a team with can't have can't be having a team punch their tickets to the semifinals while you still have pool play going on. Like you can't do that. What are we doing? And I, it wasn't. I, I won't say it's you know completely the biggest concern because they did play the Great Britain game was at six and then the semifinal. But t- most of Team USA's games happening at nine o'clock Eastern aren't perfectly ideal either, especially for people on the East Coast well, and people true. in the Central Time Zone. Fair. It's a fair point by you. We got to take a timeout. Keep voting on our poll question of the day as well. It's our foodie poll question of the week. What's your go-to dog? Is it a hot dog, a corn dog, pigs in the blanket, or other? Go vote and leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. When we come back here on RP3 and Company, the Pelicans won a game. Let's go ahead and schedule that parade. We'll talk about that next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is the epitome of a high roller, constantly making large bets. 
But by doing that, the minimum bet is a dollar for a win, a dollar for a place, a dollar for a show. So it's essentially a $3 bet. That netted me a cool $6.70. What? Okay, so he's not a risk taker. He's your best bet for sports talk. 19. Hit me. 20. Hit me. 21. Hit me. 22. Go! Now, back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The Pelicans won a game again. Two game winning streak for the Pellies. Let's go. Playing the parade in the Big Easy. Championship or bust, here we come. <laughs> okay. Well, I got something for you. Oh, go ahead. It's All a right. trivia question of the day. I'm, I I'm saw ready. saw this on Twitter yesterday, and I'm going to need to find the exact date so I can give it to you, but you're going to have to think on it for a minute anyway. When do you think the last time the Pelicans won back-to-back games was? <laughs> It was early February, right? When they won three in a row? You're right. You are correct. Yes. So let's see the exact dates on That's that. That's when they beat the Lakers, Sacramento, and Oklahoma City? Atlanta. That was close. Oh, I'm impressed. I didn't have those those teams ready for you. Remember, and they lost to Cleveland, and then they won another game. They Man, won four or five. What are, this RP, what are we, Encyclopedia RP3 today? Pulling World, the footnotes? World Baseball Classic information for you, deep dive. Yeah, it was February 4th, 5th, and 7th. <laughs> It's been that long. So it's been um, a month and a half going on two months since the Pelicans won back-to-back games. But erase that streak, start over. <laughs> Let's start a little. It's been this many days since the Pelicans have won zero on the back-to-back game <laughs> game counter. They're 5-5 five and five in their last 10. They've won two straight. Now, to be fair, they beat the Rockets, who have been eliminated from playoff contention, and they beat the Spurs, who have also been eliminated from playoff contention. So... It's not as if they've beaten good teams. So here's the other thing. And you and I were talking about this during the break. I hate the play-in tournament. I despise it with every ounce of my being. Watering down the league because you want more teams in, because you want more eyeballs, is a shrewd business move, and I just hate it. I just hate it. Yeah, well, and to to further your point there, not to uh, interrupt, but you took what was already watered down, it's like they made the jug of lemonade, right? And then in the pitcher, they watered down the pitcher, right? Because you already wanted it was too sugary at first, they thought. So they watered down the pitcher. Then they poured an individual glass, and they watered down the individual glass after they already watered down the pitcher. Because you already had 16 out of the 30 teams make the playoffs in the old format. And they said, let's just include more garbage teams in our format. So that's what they've done. It's just, and even with the two wins, here, here's, here's where we're at. Like, for, if it was me. If it was me, the Pelicans, the Lakers, the Jazz, the Timberwolves, even the Mavericks, and maybe even the Thunder, I wouldn't allow any of them in the playoffs. I, I just wouldn't. Because they're 500 or below teams. Like, what are we doing here? Like, the Pelicans have won two straight. There's still two games under 500, and they're not even in the playing tournament if it began today. They're still in 12th. Like, but there's not that much separation between Oklahoma City now, who's now at seven at 36 and 36, all the way down to the Pelicans who are 35 and 37. Like, 
And I, what are we doing? I, I ask, what is the actual point of playing 82 regular season games if 20, what is it, 20 out of 30 teams are going to play some sort of postseason basketball? And it's not even like you have a true... Okay, you avoid the play-in tournament. <laughs> Whatever. You avoid playing two extra games. It's not like it's a severe disadvantage to those teams. Yeah, the, the disadvantage is they might lose in the play-in games. But it's not like we're giving our one seed a, a double buy, and it's like, no. well, you really want to go for that one seed. If you're anywhere from one to six, it doesn't matter where you are. Because like we talked about, there's no dominant teams anyway. So maybe Especially you get not a, in the West. Maybe you get a slight advantage from being, uh, you know a team that matches up with the winner of the play-in tournament and maybe plays the Pelicans or the Lakers or the Thunder as opposed to playing the six-seeded Warriors. So that you have a, mar- a minuscule margin. But again, the Warriors might be in the play-in tournament anyway. They're, they're, they're teetering. They're barely now, uh, they're barely above. They sure do seem like they're sleepwalking to me. But yeah. you have to kind of watch out for Golden State. But the Clippers, what, Paul George is injured again? Like, that team can never stay healthy. They could fall down into the play-in tournament as well. They're only at five. So... Look, look, the West is wide open. I think the top three teams in the East are better than any team in the West. That that That's how I look at it. I, I've watched enough basketball to go Milwaukee, Boston, and Philly are clearly the three best teams in the league. And it's not a knock on Denver, but I've seen this, this movie before. I know how this movie happens in the postseason. So I don't even count Denver as an actual contender because they have to prove that they can actually get the job done and their style of basketball can actually transition to the playoffs because it doesn't. It just doesn't. It's a different thing when you get to the postseason. You have to play it differently. You have to make tweaks. Denver does not do a good job with that. Yeah, it's... No, I, I could go on this playoff rant for longer. I know I, know I shouldn't get sidetracked But even far. with two wins, they're not even in the play-in tournament yet. Well, right. Well, well, yeah. But and that's the thing. They're going to be. It's going to be a last day of the season thing. We have ten which, games left, right? That's it. Ten games for I, the Pelicans. I didn't even know it was that many. I thought it was less than that. But the other thing too is that this is exactly the unfortunate part about it is this is it's not going to change because this is exactly what the NBA wanted. They're going to have the last game of the season and they're going to be able to advertise. You know, turn on League Pass. You're going to have six games that are going to on the last day of the year that are going to impact who gets in and who gets all this stuff. And so they're going to, you know, think it. And yeah, it's going to probably be exciting for that day. But in my opinion, it shouldn't have it. It's the same thing. And I'll try not to go too far down the rabbit hole here. With Major League Baseball, the whole point, like baseball is even worse because it's such a fluky sport, like we always talk about. Any team can get hot and win a few games. Anybody can win on one given day. A college team could beat an MLB day on on their best day. Like that's how fluky and funny baseball is. So the whole point of having only four teams in the playoffs on each side, in my opinion, was that we already weed out the fluke teams. Like, if you are one of those four teams, you deserve your chance. So then whoever wins it, wins it. Now we're letting more and more teams in to where a team is going to get hot that's not even deserving. They played 162 games, and they weren't good enough to be there. But now they're going to get you in, they're going to get hot, they're the going to win the title. are doing Oh, yeah, this I understand no, no, it. No, it's money. It's dollars it's and money, cents. But it's money. But you know why it's money? Because the general public, we could sit here and rant about it all day. It is participation trophy era of sports culture. And people, as much as I rant about it, and some of our callers will rant about it, and you're against it, other people love this crap. They love everyone gets a ribbon. They love everyone gets a certificate. So they tune in and watch all this. Thus, advertisers are like, well, these people are tuning in for it, so we'll give you more money, League. This is why it is. I don't even know if it's participation trophy stuff though i think it's just consumers just wanting a vast endless amount of 
content to consume. Have because, standards. Because the other thing is, here's the thing. I'm going to watch it. I'm not going to not watch Now, I will say, the other... The NBA play-in tournament stuff, if the Pelicans aren't one of the teams playing, I don't know if I'm going to watch all those games. I certainly... <laughs> but, like, in the NFL, I'm not going to not watch a playoff game. I have, I don't know the last time I missed an NFL playoff game. And if they added more, I'd still watch them. I'm not that strong of a man of principles. I'm going to be honest with you. I enjoy it too much. That's the other thing, too, though. Every time I get upset about something like this, I always tell people, like, there was the thing, you know, when we've had controversies and people upset about leagues doing things and that, I'm always like, I'm not going to let my enjoyment be ruined by something outside of it. I'm still going to enjoy it. If I enjoy something, I'm not going to go, well, the principle of the matter is going to tell me I'm not going to enjoy that. So I will still watch the NFL. But in the NBA, it's a little different. But either way, I just think it's ridiculous. That's my rant for the day. Oh, Tilo ranty this morning. I'm here for it. Got to take a timeout. When we return here in RP3 and Company, oh, the mad dog, Ron Higgins, columnist for Tiger Details, join us. We're going to talk LSU women's basketball, LSU baseball. That's all coming up next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on The Game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Poll question of the day. What's your favorite hot dog related item? Classic hot dog, just the wiener on the bun. What about a corn dog? Or what about a pigs in a blanket or other? Go vote. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. It's our foodie poll question of the week, which is always our poll question of the day on Wednesdays. You know what else we do on Wednesdays? We get analysis, sometimes the harsh truth, but always done in a colorful manner from a man who is a legendary reporter columnist, also becoming a soon-to-be legendary extra for TV and movie sets as well as a man who could write a travel guide on cruise ships. It's our good friend Ron Higgins, the Mad Dog, joins us now. Mad Dog, good morning. How was the cruise, bud? It was good. Uh, a little bit rough on the last day on Sunday coming in, but other than that, it was a, it was a good cruise. It was. It was uh, uh, uneventful, no pirates, you know, and betting of shit, which is always good. That's always a bonus. Uh, it's uh, always a plus, bud, when you don't get boarded by pirates. That's always a good thing. It's always, you know, but, you know, uh, it was good. It was, it was a good trip. Uh, kind of ready to get back into it. It's a full week of uh, LSU sports. Uh, you got a, a poll question on hot dogs. I mean, man, you got it. It's, it's, it's rolling this morning. It is rolling this morning, brother. All right. Let's uh, start off with the LSU women's basketball team. Despite not shooting the ball very well in either game against Hawaii or Michigan, it didn't matter. Uh, they still won comfortably in both games. They were the more physical team in both games. And they uh, dominated their opponents and their punched their ticket to the Sweet 16. What stood out the most to you about what you saw from Kim Mulkey's team in the first and second rounds of the NCAA tournament? Uh, defense carried them, uh, as you said, because honestly, their guard play wasn't very good. Uh, LSU's not going to get past Utah if, if, if Alexis Mars doesn't show up to the fourth quarter. 
honestly. Uh, it's something that Kim Mulkey doesn't want to talk about. She always says Alexis Mars scores when she has to. Well, you're not supposed to score in the first three quarters. Just, you know, uh, they need better guard play. They really, really do. Uh, it's all an angel. It's, it's all an angel Reese. You know, I mean, uh, the whole team is on her back and, and she's carried them a long way. But they're an injury or a foul trouble away from having a big problem uh, at this point. And look, they've, they've done a hell of a job at this point. Look, we, we all, it's easy to forget this is just year two under, under Kim. Uh, and they've been, I mean, it's hard to argue with 30 and two. I mean, it, it really is. Uh, but when you get to this level of play, I mean, you, you do nitpick stuff and you do look at stuff and say, uh, you know, what can get them, uh, you know, to the final four. I mean, they, they got a break in the, the, the number one seed in this, in this region got taken out Monday. Uh, so, uh, LSU's it, got a shot here now that they got a shot. It, it does set up for them. And look, they got some nice contributions from Ladasia Williams and, 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 and some others, but you're right about Alexis Morrison. I watched Kim in both games because I was at the PMAC for both contests and she was her most animated when it came to Alexis, whether she was missing shots, but when she started to make the shots late in the game against Hawaii and then late in the game against Michigan, that was the most animated and excited Kim was. And and I believe that's because Kim knows that Alexis has to have confidence because they're going to need her to make those shots fall early in the Sweet 16 and early in the Elite Eight if they want to move on. I agree. And, and I mean, and, and I mean, her NCAA tournament stats, and I know last year she was hurt when she got when she went she she played. But her her NCAA tournament stats aren't very good. I mean, last year and this year so far, she I mean they, she's got to pick up the play uh, if if they want to go further than, than this weekend. And look again, this isn't this isn't being critical of the program. Which look, it was, you know, th- three years ago this program was in a dump, uh, and what Kim has done in, in a couple of years is really unbelievable. But they got a tough challenge this week. I mean, Utah is good, man. I mean, I mean, you get to this level, uh, like the the Pac-12 Player of the Year, uh, Lisa Pilly. I think they pronounce her name Pilly or Piley Pilly. Number one scorer in the Pac-12, the six-two uh, forward from Anchorage, Alaska, transfer from USC to, to Utah this year. Uh, averages twenty-one points a game, five point six boards. They got some people. Uh, number three, number four scoring team of the nation. Uh, number four in field goal percentage. This is a good team. They beat Stanford, uh, I believe, in the Pac-12 tournament. So this is a good. This is a good team. They, they've ever, they've already beat Alabama and Ole Miss this year in a Thanksgiving tournament. Uh, it's a it's a good team. Uh, it's a challenge for LSU, and and then they have to come out firing on all cylinders. It cannot all be on Angel Reese's back. Okay, and, and, and as marvelous as she has been, uh, uh, and listen. LSU played great defense with that. They, they won that game in the end easily despite missing 20 layups. They missed 20 layups. They had one sequence in nine seconds where they missed five shots, including four layups. They got five offensive rebounds. 
Uh, well, Angel, gotta, well, Angel, even herself afterwards, because you know we we were talking about that, and she goes, "Yeah, I got a lot of those rebounds because I was missing my own shots." You know, she even wow. made a joke about it because she was what eight of twenty three in that Michigan game, so it's not as if she had a good night shooting as well. Look, I, I like how they play defense. I think that's going to keep them in the game. Angel's going to get hers. She has that weird kind of weird delivery where she can kind of because she's got the long wingspan, she can just throw the ball up away from the defender underneath the basket, and, and, and it goes in. So she's going to get hers. For me, you're going to have to have Alexis Morris step up if they want to beat Utah, and you're going to have to have someone else too uh, for me. Maybe it's it's Jasmine who came off the bench and gave him three three-pointers against Michigan. You're going to have to have one of those other players step up in double-digit figures scoring-wise to help give Angel Reese some some assistance if they want to beat Utah. I agree. I mean, I mean, you're always going to get about about 10 points and eight rebounds out of Daisy Williams always. I mean, that's a given. But you, your guards have got to step up and do something. Uh, and you saw what happens when they, you know, in, this, in that second quarter when Carson came out and hit three threes. It loosened up inside for, for, for Angel. I mean, basically, teams are just – they can almost be like, all right, we're going to surround, we're going to surround Angel as many people as possible. And we're going to give you the outside shot. Can you make it? Uh, and now I think it was that score about 12 8, 12 8 in the first quarter, something like that. Uh, and then start of the second quarter, Jasmine Carson gets three straight threes. All of a sudden, everything loose. Everything loosens up. Everything. Got, you're you're exactly it's, correct. It's, it's amazing, but you've got to have you got to have inside outside balance, and you you can't uh, you, you can't just saddle up Angel every game. And, and I know they've done that. It seems like, uh, but at this point, you've got to get some you've got to get some play from your guards, and, and particularly Alexis Morris has got to show up and and come out with some offense. Uh, she's there. She's their best stop and pop shooter. She's a great mid range jump shooter. Uh, you know, Flaget has got to step up a little bit. Flaget always contributes usually with with defense and steals and and, and turns momentum games that way. But Alexis is a senior, and she's got to, she's got to play like a senior. I agree. I agree. We're talking with Ron Higgins, the Mad Dog columnist for Tiger Details. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. All right, but let's switch to baseball quickly. Uh, you know, I, I know Tiger fans get upset anytime they lose a game. I, I, I get it. Um, but they still went on the road, took two or three from a nationally ranked Texas A&M team that played in the College World Series a year ago. They will now face off against another team that went to the College World Series in Arkansas, comes to town for a three-game set this Friday at the box. Uh, what you make of that opening weekend series for the Tigers? Uh, anytime you win two or three in College Station, it's good. Uh Starting pitcher, pitching needs to be better. Uh, I thought Ty Floyd in, in, in game two and Thatcher Hurd in game three uh, didn't get the job done. Didn't uh, didn't give him enough innings. Well, like last year, uh, you can't just give him three innings. You, you need to take him to five or six innings, I and mean, you really do. Uh, and, and 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 perhaps you know, perhaps I'm being too harsh on them. But when you <laughs> when you compare them to Paul Skeens. Who's just absolutely ridiculous at this point? Uh, you're like, okay, well, you know, are they that? Are, did they struggle that much, or was Paul Sheen's that good? Uh, well, he was that good, but they they need they need a little bit better starting pitching. 
uh, and, and out of their second game, you know, day two, day three starter. Uh, they swung the bats pretty good the whole time. Uh, this team has so many different ways and different lineups they can use. It's just stupid. And, and then, you know, I mean, you got, you know, freshman like Jared Jones jacking seven RBI in the, in the second game of the series. And, uh, you know, Dylan Cruz gets on Blazer Nation and on base percentage. He gets on base almost every at bat. Uh, you know, you get the killer lineup when you get Cruz batting third and, and, and uh, uh, Tommy Tanks at, 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 at fit and fourth. Uh, it's, it's, it's a, it's a lineup loaded with talent and they got, and they got relief pitching. It's been pretty good so far. Uh, and this is a big test for them. Arkansas. I think like, they're like ranked number five, but they, they've won 13 in a row, I believe. Uh, it'll be a great series. I mean, this is what, this is, uh, this is, this is one of those teams where LSU has to, they want to get to Omaha. They have to beat a team like this, win a series. And you got it at home, and then you have Tennessee at home next weekend. So uh, these next two weeks will tell you a lot about uh, uh, LSU's team. But I think we know, we know a lot about them already. We know that uh, they are loaded with pitching. Uh, they are loaded with hitting. And their feelings have been flawless so far. And I think Jay Johnson, you know, one thing I noticed about him, uh, different than, than Maneri, uh, and and I've always said this, but this is one of Paul's, strengths and, and, and faults was that uh, he would leave a pitcher in too long if his pitcher was struggling. And because Paul always wanted that pitcher to, you know, he wanted him to pitch out of trouble. He, he, he like, he, he, he really felt for that pitcher. He felt like, you know, I mean, this will get the kid confidence if he can pitch out of trouble. And a lot of times it would backfire. Uh, Jay Johnson don't play that game. <laughs> no, he doesn't uh, brother. No, he doesn't. Hey, Appreciate your time as always, uh, Mad Dog. I hope you get to enjoy a hot dog or corn dog or a pig in a blanket today. Uh, I like you know I like all three. I'm I'm a triple I'm a triple uh, you know I'm a trifecta <laughs> guy, but I, I'm partial to Sonic corn dogs. All right, I I I, I ain't mad at you, brother. I ain't mad at you. Enjoy the rest of your day, bud. I man, we'll see you. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. There are two types of sports reporters. Those who are respected for their ability at building relationships with coaches and players. And here's our game plan. Then there are those whose method of reporting is getting hammered with a college football team at Pat O's. You guess which one RP3 is. Back to more RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Poll question of the day on Wednesday, of course, is our foodie poll question of the week. Something that you guys enjoy thoroughly. What's your favorite hot dog related item? Is it the classic hot dog? Wiener on bun. Maybe get a little chili cheese on there if you want to. Or is it a corn dog? Popular among the kiddos, right? Or is it pigs in a blanket? Or is it other? Right now, 54% of you go with the classic hot dog. 24% say pigs in a blanket. 
12% say corn dog, 10% say other. Let's get to some of your comments, shall we? John Paul, the Cajun Daddy, says, By far the pig in the blanket is the best. It is the one we get to have the least because it takes work to make it. I have to have my wife help because I never take apart the crescent roll dough the right way. <laughs> so when when I make pigs in the blanket for our family, for our daughter Hattie, they look wildly different than when the wife makes the pigs in the blanket. You don't get the the. It's already kind of pre. It's the yeah. Pillsbury. It's already pre. Yeah, but then I stretch it too much when I'm trying to pull it apart. Oh man, uh, it's 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 a whole thing. So as as my wife Tina says, when dad daddy makes them his own way, <laughs> it's the way I make them. So yes, my my daughter by the way, uh, she loves eating corn dogs, hot dogs, and pigs in the blanket. If we could just feed her that. And macaroni and cheese, uh, she would be happy every day. Every day would be a holiday for her. John Paul also says, are kolaches considered pigs in a blanket? Sausage, boudin, ham, and jalapeno, but what? But we are talking about hot dogs. No, because I don't know. Is a kolache? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't know. We'll have to do a deep dive in that. You have two degrees. you got a big old brain, D'Lo. We'll have to get you on top of that. I mean, you can put... You can put a hot dog in a kolache style situation, but I mean, I mean that's fine. But like a boudin kolache, obviously, is nowhere near. No, no. And you typically use sausage for kolaches. Yeah, as well. Usually, that's different. Yes. We're not talking hot I dogs. I mean, yeah. Now, yeah, you know, just can carry on. <laughs> carry on. And shout out to Ralph for sharing a vintage 1967 hot dog commercial with us on our Twitter account. We appreciate you for doing that. Keep those votes coming. On the poll question of the day, keep those votes and the comments coming, rather. And we'll share them throughout today's show. One hour left here of RP3 and Company. It's going to be a good one. We're going to be talking with Andrew Juge of the Saints Happy Hour podcast, all things black and gold. But we'll kick off hour number three with Jay Walker, the longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, going to talk all things vermilion and white. That's next, right here on The Game. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlo and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. It's 8.03 in the morning, which means the final hour of RP3 and Company on this Hump Day edition has arrived. Don't forget to vote on the poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Coming up half an hour from right now, we're going to talk all things black and gold. That's right, New Orleans Saints talk with our guy from the Saints Half Hour podcast. Andrew Juge will be joining us. That'll be coming up. But right now, it's time for us to talk Vermilion in white, raging Cajuns baseball, maybe get a little men's basketball talk as well. With the longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, Jay Walker joins us now. Jay, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? I am wonderful. I'm just wonderful. Just wonderful, he says. Well, you know, but but we're wonderful now because you're talking with us. So it's all types of wonderless going on. Some kind of wonderful. Somebody ought to do a song with that title. <laughs> nice. Uh, 
All right, I look, I know it's early, but we have begun conference play. Um, last weekend, uh, the Louisiana Raging Cajuns baseball team. Give me your thoughts on what you've seen from this team so um, far. You know, they they beat an Arkansas State team um, over the weekend. That is, they're, they're not a good baseball team. They're in the Sun Belt Conference, but they're they're a bottom tier team, and. The thing that I like, and I mentioned this to Matt Diggs yesterday, you won a game where you jumped on them right away. You won a game where they jumped on you and you answered right away. And then they won a good old-fashioned pitcher's duel. So they found three different ways to win during that series. And so I think sometimes you have to look past the opponent and you have to look at how you're getting things done. That was the biggest um, positive that I took away from the weekend because honestly, you, they should have swept Arkansas State, and they did. But how they did it, um, I thought was uh, was pretty interesting and, and something to hang your hat on. They open up conference play with a with a sweep, and I, I agree with you, Jay. The fact that they were able to find different ways to win is impressive. And here's the other thing that stands out to me about this team so far is that their pitching is progressing. It's still not where uh, they want it to be or where it needs to be, but it is making strides. And here's the other thing. They got guys in that lineup that still really haven't got going, right? Their bats haven't got to where they need to be or where we expected them to be, and yet here they are, and uh, they're still off to a very, very strong start to the season. Yeah, and, you're, and we're talking specifically Rocco. You know, he's uh, he's such a good ball player, and he – he took us to such heights, you know, last year. He missed he missed winning the batting title by a point. Uh, he missed winning the home run title by one. He missed winning the RBI title by one. I mean, he almost won the Triple Crown. Um, and he hasn't gotten on track yet. Um, and, you know, Tommy Raffo, the coach at Arkansas State, um, after the third game, he was up doing post-game interview with, uh, with Matt Stoltz and, Afterwards, you know, we were we were off the air, and he came by. He said, "Let me tell y'all something. When you get Rockefeller going, y'all are going to be nasty." And that was his comment about the Cajuns. Yeah, I mean, possibly their best player still hasn't got going. So <laughs> it's 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 what a luxury. They're still fifteen and six to start the season, uh, and yet uh, they're still not even playing to their potential yet. Obviously, a couple of midweek games here, a couple of five-game weeks, Grambling last night, you know, got got it done in seven innings, 13-1. to one. Julian Brock was was amazing. A little bit tougher competition tonight at the Teague when Southeastern Louisiana comes in. This is a team that won the Southland Conference Tournament and was an NCAA regional team a year ago. Uh, they're, you know, a, a pretty good ball club, even though they're all over the place so far this season, if you look at their schedule. Uh, what do you think we're going to see tonight at the Teague? I think you're going to see the base pass get a workout because the Cajuns uh, have stolen 71 bases uh, after stealing 10 last night, and uh, southeastern Louisiana has stolen 66 bases. So you're going to see people in motion uh, during the evening. You know, Julian Brock is going to get uh, tested tonight and 
so is the Cajun pitching staff as far as holding runners on because this staff hasn't been as good at it, in my opinion, so far this year as the staff was a year ago. So um, when when they get when they get guys on base, they're going to put them in motion. So the big key for the Cajun pitching staff tonight is to not walk people. You know, you walk people, you hit people. They're always among the nation's leaders in hit batsmen because they stand right on top of the plate. Uh, you just can't give them a lot of freebies because they will turn a walk into a double very quickly. Uh, and so that's the thing about Southeastern, I think. You know, they they probably don't hit it as well as the Cajuns do, as, but their on-base percentage is better. And that's because they walk and get hit a lot. Yeah, and they're so up and down this year. You know, they lost two of three on the road at Jacksonville, but then went and took two of three at Auburn, <laughs> but then turned around and lost two of three to Memphis. So this team has been wildly kind of up and down, and that always makes the opponent a little bit more unpredictable, doesn't it, Jay, especially for a midweek contest? Yeah, I, I, I think, though, that the, the, the modus operandi remains the same. Um, you know, if you're – you know, if you go back, and I, I haven't seen any box scores, I'm going to look at them today. But I'm going to bet you that in that series against Auburn, they got they got some free base runners, and they made the most of them. And that in losing the series to Memphis, maybe that didn't happen. Maybe they maybe the pitching you know shut them down, and they couldn't get a lot of freebies. I'm going to look at you know now that you bring that up, I'm really interested to take a look inside those numbers and learn a little bit more, and I'll do that during the day today. Talking with Jay Walker, longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. Bud, let's look ahead to the weekend. A trip to Mobile to take on old rivals, especially in baseball, South Alabama. Got to go to Stanky Field. Jaguars kind of had a, a disappointing start to their season. They're kind of a little all over the place as well, but this is an old school rivalry series. Um, how important is it? going into Mobile and getting the series win against a program that's typically good year after year in South Alabama. Yeah, I you know, you're on the road this weekend and the Cajuns haven't been on the road much. I mean they're two and two in pure road games and they haven't had a road series since the Rice series to open up the season. So, you know, first of all, how do you react to being on the road? Um that's the the first thing I think. And uh, you know you can go ahead and take a look at what South Alabama did last weekend, and they got pounded by uh, Georgia Southern twice, and the third game was really close. Um, this is South Alabama is a team that, you know, a couple of years ago when they made a run and, and won the conference tournament, got all the way to a regional final, they did it by being as good at getting timely hits as any team in America. They were really good at getting the two-out hit. Uh, they didn't hit for a very high average, but they got clutch hits, and they pitched extremely well. Their pitching staff so far has been up and down. There have been games when they've pitched well, games when they haven't. Uh, Jeremy Lee, of course, is a guy that, that was, when, when he was a freshman, was as good a freshman as we've seen in a long time. And he's kind of been on the shelf the better part of two years. He's pitching now. He's not back to where he was, although I think he's going to be a formidable opponent. On Friday, the thing about South Alabama that's a big surprise is that statistically they're not very good defensively, and this is a team that 
always is good on defense. I want to say they fielded about 980 as a team last year, and they're in the 950s right now. And that's a big surprise because Mark Calvi's teams are always good on defense. Yeah, the Jaguars are struggling. They've lost seven straight now heading into the weekend series against the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. All right, bud, we'll get you out of here with this. Raging Cajuns fall just short in the NCAA tournament. Great second half comeback attempt against Tennessee. And as they just fall short by three points, give me your final thoughts on this season for Bob Marlin's squad. Well, it's a hell of a year. Um, you know, there's, there's probably two things you'd like to have back. You'd like to have that Coastal Carolina game back because that gets you the regular season championship and the number one seed. Um, and you'd like to have the last three minutes of the first half back in the game against Tennessee. You know, they, they went on that 11 to nothing run. They took an 11 point lead into the locker room. It was 19 to 19. Then it was 30 to 19. Uh, and the Cajuns were not able to come back from that. They came back and made it very interesting, but they never could get even with, uh, with Tennessee. So, you know, if you want to talk about what might have been, you can look at those two things. Um, other than that, my gosh, what a year. You know, you win, you win 26 games. Um, you win the conference uh, tournament championship. You're in the NCAA tournament for the first time in nine years. Bob Marlin wins his third championship overall. Uh, and you do it with a group of young men that's as good a group of young men as, as Bob's had in, in 30 years of coaching. Um, so happy for those guys and what they were able to accomplish this year. Sorry that it fell short for them because I think they wanted to play some more basketball. Um, but it, it was a joy to cover them. It was a joy to hang around them. It was a joy to watch them. And, um, I think Cajun fans should just be extremely happy with, um, with what they saw this year because this team was really special. Jay. Appreciate your time, as always, brother. Enjoy being on the call tonight there at the Teague as the Cajuns take on the Lions of southeastern Louisiana. Bud, thank you for your time. Thanks for having me. Go Cajuns. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is known across Acadiana as a master of the English language. You look at all the guys that they got. Clinton Anukoraru, oof, and I don't know how to pronounce this young man's name. TJ Falola. More like a master of broken English, that is. They also added an inside linebacker, Casey Wasawi. These names are killing me, man. I even practiced <laughs> last night. Me fail English? That's impossible. Now back to that silky smooth delivery of RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, foodie poll question of the week is always our poll question of the day on Wednesday. We ask you, what's your favorite hot dog-related item? It can be a hotly contested debate. Corn dog versus hot dog. Hot dog versus pig in the blanket. 
What do you prefer? D'Lo, I haven't even... I apologize. It is rude of me to not even ask you your thoughts on the poll question of the day, especially when it comes to a foodie poll question. Despite you being very fit, young, fit, healthy, you do enjoy eating. That is documented. I have, most, I, have, I have proof. Yeah, I do it every day, actually. Every, every day. I'm every usually day. multiple times. That's right. I mean, it's more than just kale smoothies. What's your favorite hot dog-related item? Is it the classic hot dog? Is it a corn dog, or is it pigs in a blanket? Well, I mean, by far the one I eat the most would be the classic hot dog, you know, mm. but... I've got to be in the right mood for the corn dog, but it really can it can really do something for you in the right situation, right? Walking around the fair. Oh, there it is. Like some sort of you know some sort of community event where they've got the fresh corn dogs going. You smell, you know, it's like the funnel cake batter. You can smell sometimes, kind of <sighs> coincides with it. So that's when I, I I would say that's I enjoy that more than a regular old hot dog, but I don't have that often. I mean, I couldn't tell you the last time I had a corn dog. I, I, honestly, now I'm. I'm kind of thinking about my next move to get one soon so you got that going for me pigs in a blanket never been my thing you know i don't dislike it if it's there you know if that's what's being served i'm not going to turn it down but i wouldn't you know choose that or, or why don't you like pigs in a blanket it's a hot dog I and just, cheese inside a delicious crescent roll. i said i don't dislike it it's just not what i would choose i you know another thing i don't like see if i'm gonna in a kalashi i'm going boudin all the way I don't necessarily like the sa- – I don't know what it is about the sausage or the hot dog wiener with the crescent rolls. not my favorite combination. I don't dislike it's it. Fair. I'd rather it in a hot dog bun. You're allowed to have your own opinion here. Yeah, I, I thought so. This yeah. is a safe space for having your own opinion, whether Certainly. it comes to sports talk or foodie talk, my friend. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'll go corn dog. That would be my final answer. I actually voted pigs in a blanket. Love pigs in a blanket. As a kid, it was always like a big treat. It's like, oh, now – now, as an adult, I realize that it's not that expensive. <laughs> but when you're a kid, you're like, ooh, pigs in a blanket, fancy. So I vote pigs in a blanket. But right now, 54% of you say classic hot dog, 24% say pigs in a blanket, 12% say corn dog, 10% say other. A slew of comments on the Facebook and the Twitter. So keep those votes coming and keep your votes coming as well. Last night, World Baseball Classic comes to an end in dramatic fashion. Two outs. Mike Trout up to bat, facing off against his teammate. Otani, Major League Baseball, couldn't have scripted it a better way. And Otani threw Mike Trout a pitch that Mike Trout said, I'm going to look silly with this. And he was. struck, Strikes out. That's how the game ends. Team USA loses 3-2 to two to Japan as Japan wins its third World Baseball Classic title. The other two times, they finished in third. They take down the Americans. And look, it, it, Team USA probably had the best lineup of any team in the bracket. Their nine-hole hitter was a stud. But... Japan was able to put Yu Darvish and Otani in their bullpen for the deciding game. Team USA didn't have anyone on that level. So, got to find a way to get better quality pitchers involved with the World Baseball Classic. And we've had that discussion throughout today's show where, you know, 
look, a lot of these teams don't want their guys pitching in the World Baseball Classic. There's a reason why there's a pitch count as it is, right, Dawson? We already have that implemented, but we know there's teams that say, uh, not so much. No, thank you. You can stay home. You can just be down in Florida for spring training. We'd rather have that. That's what the Astros did with Framer Valdez. Now, they let Garcia go pitch, but Framer's their number one. And Framer didn't get to go be in the World Baseball Classic. So, it's getting teams to kind of buy into this. And you brought up a great idea earlier, Dawson, when you said, hey, maybe you make the pitch to these teams that have the stud pitchers that may be interested in playing in the World Baseball Classic. And be like, look, we're not going to overdo your guys. Whatever your pitch count that you were going to have for your ace for spring training for these two weeks, that's what we're going to do as well. I think you make that adjustment if you're the WBC. I think if you make the adjustment of promoting it better, because that's the biggest thing that stands out to me. Not that the Americans lost to Japan. Japan was the better team. They are the standard for the World Baseball Classic. They've won three of them. What stood out to me, because we've had some excellent, great games, great theater played out on baseball diamonds. They didn't promote it worth a darn. People were confused on when it was on. People were confused to buy the format. When you have teams punching their tickets to the semifinals and you still have pool play going on. They didn't do a good job explaining the format. They didn't do a good job making the general public understand what was going on. If you're a diehard baseball guy, you got it. If you're just a general sports fan, you didn't get it. They could have done a better job with unveiling the uniforms, as you mentioned, D'Lo, making a big deal about that. You know, Team USA wore those blues last night. Those were awesome. They could have done so much more with the promotion leading up to the event, during the event, figuring out how to better schedule the games, figure out how to have the general public have more of a rooting interest because it was very much general sports fan going, oh, that's going on? And look, we get it. NCAA tournament's going on. That's a huge deal. Everyone's focus becomes on their brackets. NFL free agency's going on. NBA, the push for the NBA playoffs and the playing tournament's going on. I get all that. There's a lot going on right now. But you got to do a better job. You got to do a better job with the World Baseball Classic because the product itself was good, even great at times. Got to capitalize on that. Two of the best players in the world playing baseball faced off last night for the final out of the World Baseball Classic. How do you build off of that now? Or is it going to simply be, okay, we're going to forget about it for three years, and then in three years we're going to try to throw it together again? Because that's what it feels like they do. That's what they it feels like they do. This, this could be a good jumping-off point for this tournament, though, because I think this was a great way to lay the foundation. It's also an opportunity, the fact that it's not four years away this time. Correct. Um, you, you're not going to have that out-of-sight, out-of-mind situation for as long. You get a full less, you know, a full less year. Um, so I think that's important. The other interesting thing that we haven't even kind of touched on yet is that baseball's back in the Olympics now. Um, but of course it's completely different because it happens during the MLB season. So what you had was non MLB players. Of course, anyone who was in the MLB was not, it's not like the NHL where they paused the season, right? And let everyone go play. 
Correct. So you had uh, retired players. It was a cool mixture of guys. It really was. But it's nowhere near what this tournament can be because this has all the stars, potentially. It has most of them now, and it has the chances to be all of them. Um, you didn't have many guys turn down the opportunity to play for other countries. You know, there weren't very many. You know, Japan, like I said, Japan certainly wasn't missing any of their marquee guys. So um, I think you have the the foundation is laid. All the, A lot of the hard work is done, like making it a great event, doing everything like that right. Now it's just about nailing out the details and spending money on marketing and doing it the, the correct way, which Major League Baseball, look, even their even their own product, they, they at times struggle to market. So the World Baseball Classic, which of course isn't, isn't necessarily MLB's product, but is certainly uh, with them, right? It's it's mostly involved with with Major League Baseball, which is a good thing. So use this opportunity. The foundation is there, but 2026 is going to be big to take it to the next level. And I think a lot of the things you're saying are valid, and there's even some more things beyond that that they can hopefully do. And I think I think they will listen, and I would expect them to make some changes. And um, you know, we'll revisit this conversation, I guess, two and a half years from now, which is. <laughs> That's the unfortunate thing about it. It's still three years away. You know what I mean? It's not like next year we just get to run this back. So Right. Also, Salty Steve brings up a point about Mike Trout because we were talking about two of the you know, generational talents, right, facing off in the World Baseball Classic in the final out, teammates. He points out Trout came up twice with an opportunity to go ahead or tie the game, and he uh, crapped the bed. He is not the best player in baseball. He is the Dan Marino of baseball. He has great numbers in zero rings. Neither are the best. Yeah, I'll fully disagree with that sentiment. Ooh, saltiness from Steve on Mike Trout. I think I understand that logic, but like Mike Trout has been the best player in ba- like the numbers he's put up again have never happened for the amount of time he's done it and the consistency. The he's done argument it with. is always going to be whether it's baseball, football, or basketball, even though they're team sports. The argument is always going to be. Does he make his team better? That's always the argument. I mean, right? wins above replacements, the perfect stat to show that, and it certainly does. Do they make the playoffs? But but again, right, I, I understand, yeah, I understand yeah. the analytics, I but, I'm, but, but I'm explaining here, the argument is a lot of people view greatness as elevating guys around you that are mediocre to a championship level or at least to a playoff level. And when you don't do that, now look, it's not Mike Trout's fault that the Angels are a dumpster fire front office that don't know how to build a team. Well, and, and it's not base, his fault for that, but that's the argument. Well, that's the, always the argument. That's fair, but the elevating your teammates thing in basketball and football, I think, is obviously important because your players are interacting with each other. Mike Trout can't go up there and help his teammates hit hit fastballs. I mean, there's nothing he can do in that aspect. Like defensively, he does everything he can, and offensively at the plate, he does it. In basketball, yeah, you can. Obviously, LeBron James can make his teammates better in the way he sets them up and the way he creates spacing for them. But unfortunately, Mike Trout hits a solo homer in the third inning, and he can't go up there with the next hitter and go, here you go, buddy, you're going to hit this one. It's just nothing he can do It's in baseball, a different so. argument in baseball because the sport is different, right? And if you're a position player, you don't impact your team as, at like, you can't help it because you don't pitch, right? So that's well, another part Shohei of that. he does it. Right, he does it. <laughs> but... It's a different argument, but you can have the argument that Trout is not necessarily a clutch hitter. If you statistically look at his career in big moments, he doesn't necessarily come up big. I would argue Bryce Harper comes up bigger in big moments 
than Trout does, even though I think Trout's a better overall player. Yeah, I don't think the sample size is there yet, but I could see that argument. I, I just I hope again as an Astros fan, still I still hope the Angels find a way to get in the playoffs as a wild card team because I want to see it. Like I want to see this. I don't want to see these generational talents wasted forever. I will also say I, I think Otani. I, I strongly disagree because if the Mets, because of it, it, the, the Angels aren't even had, a rival, like it's not even. But but the Mets are a rival for my Braves. So if the yeah, Mets well that's, falter after spending a ton of money and they're in my in my division, which means they're a rival, I want to see them fail always. The Rangers, yeah, always. I want the Rangers to fail, but like I don't care about the I, again, and I don't want them to beat the Astros in the in the ALCS. I just want to see Mike Trout playing playoff games. But I will say the last thing to wrap the segment up. I do think Otani has now surpassed Mike Trout as the best player in baseball, by the way, which is crazy. Now I think the Angels have one and two. But I think Otani, with what he does on the mound and at the plate, is it's unreal. And when we're again, like people, if you're not a baseball fan, I guess you're not going to appreciate it. But like if you are a baseball fan, that you're never going to see this again, like ever. Not in no doubt about it. In our lifetimes, we're never going to see a guy like Otani again. So I think people should enjoy that. You can appreciate the greatness, absolutely. We can appreciate the greatness, while also I can appreciate my team actually making the postseason, <laughs> which Otani doesn't get to sample. Because he plays for the Angels. We got to take a timeout. When we come back, we'll shift gears. We'll talk New Orleans Saints football with Andrew Jude of the Saints Happy Hour podcast. More moves, minor moves, but there's still moves. Saints have been very, very busy in free agency. We'll talk about it with Andrew next, right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. I was told by national media people that the Saints were in salary cap Hades. That they couldn't do anything. They had no money to spend. How could they get any free agents? How could they even sign their own players? Yet, 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 yet again, yet again, Mickey Loomis always finds a way, doesn't he? This is what he's done for 20 years. Finds money where others don't know where it's at. Convinces players to take team-friendly deals inexplicably. Hey, guy, let's take that big, massive contract, turn it to a signing bonus, and have you play for us for about $300,000 and some leftover fried fish. What do you say? Awesome? Great. Let's get a deal done. The man's a wizard. To tell us how much of a wizard Mickey Loomis is and to get his thoughts on what they've done in this free agency period, is our friend from the Saints Happy Hour podcast, Andrew Juge, joins us now. Andrew, good morning, bud. How are you? Uh, I'm doing great, Raymond. You know, I'm feeling good. And, uh, you know, look, it's it's always fun when uh, the Saints are in the top 15 in the NFL in cap space. You know, like you said, I, I was told that they weren't going to be able to make any moves. Uh, the first thing they do is they sign a quarterback to a $150 million deal. So, <laughs> You know, I'm starting to wonder if the national media really knows what they're talking about. Oh, the screaming heads on the idiot box. Yeah, yelling at each other. Yeah, they don't. They 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 really don't. They don't pay attention. So, you know, look, they've been very busy. And I make the argument all the time, you know, we pay so much attention to the big moves, right? You mentioned the Derek Carr signing. That's a huge deal. 
And even getting Michael Thomas to come back on, you know, a team-friendly one-year deal and, and everything they're, they're doing, but the moves for the D-tackles they've gotten, those are nice, great moves. Bringing back guys on the cheap, great moves. These little one-year, two-year deals that they're doing, those are just as important because it helps build your roster depth with quality guys with experience. What do you make as it stands this morning here on March 22nd, all the moves Mickey and his team have been able to make? You know, I, I've been um, pleased, I guess, would be one way of putting it, or, or impressed uh, would be another, with the approach with the Saints so far this offseason. I, I think they've done a good job of kind of bolstering their roster uh, and of improving the team. And obviously it starts at quarterback, and we, we've already talked about Derek Carr, and I think it starts there. You have to have a quarterback that can make plays, and I do think he's the best quarterback, at least today, in the NFC South. Obviously we'll see what Carolina does with that first overall pick, and how long it takes for that player to, to acclimate. I think it's fair, fair and safe to say that that'll be a quarterback. Uh, but ultimately, I do think Carr is the best. So, you know, right there, to me, as we sit here today, the Saints are the favorite in the NFC South. Now, beyond that, you know, I, I think really the unsung moves that Mickey Loomis has made, you know, first of all, I, I think the media narrative has been eventually you have to pay for these decisions that you make. And, and I don't really know that that's true. You can continue to push it into the future indefinitely and you can just keep pushing it off and keep pushing it off. And it's like this bill that never comes due because it's always due next year and you can keep pushing it further into the future. That's what Mickey Loomis has always done. He's been doing this for over a decade now, Raymond, and it's never come due. So, you know, I think he moves money around and, you know, there are contracts where maybe he, he'll bite the bullet on some of them, but he doesn't have to bite the bullet on all of them at once. And again, I, to me, the unsung thing about this year, and you, you touched on this a moment ago, is Andrews Pete, Will Lutz, Michael Thomas, Jameis Winston, those four players in particular, massive contracts. And I, I think one thing that we didn't really consider about how Mickey Loomis would get out of those massive deals is getting these players to all agree to stay with pay cuts. And I, I think the saints are on to something here. When we talk about their culture, we talk about how uh, it's a great organization that players want to play for when they accept that. Yes, my contract is ballooned up. It's no longer affordable. I understand that. I understand that I haven't been living up to the expectations of that contract, but I want to stay here. So I'm going to accept the payment that you give me that's a lot less than the agreement that we made previously. And, and that's really rare. I mean, in the league, you look up and down across the league, and, and, and most of the time players are like, uh-uh, you pay me that contract that I'm due, or you cut me and I want to go into free agency. And, and for them to have four agreements with four separate players uh, is truly remarkable. I don't know that I've seen that before. Four players – of that caliber, again, Will Lutz been to the Pro Bowl. Michael Thomas was the Offensive Player of the Year. Uh, you know, I mean, we're, we're talking about marquee level players here. When Jameis Winston was the first overall pick in the NFL draft at one point, you know, so I, I think for them to agree to these pay cuts says a lot about the organization, and and it's started to open my eyes to, hey, look, in the future, when they get to some of these other contracts that will get really bad and balloon up. Will Mickey Loomis be able to do the same thing with those guys too? Talking with Andrew Juge of the Saints Half Hour Podcast. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. 
you know, everyone freaked out about the D tackles being poached, and yet here we stand a week later, and now they have four of them back on the roster, including getting Malcolm Roach to come back on a one-year deal. Uh, they're, they're set now at D tackle. They've signed a couple of versatile defensive backs on team-friendly deals. Now both of those guys seem like, yeah, you know, maybe they're not necessarily starters that they've signed this week. Some of them have injury concerns. Some of them are just been kind of bust. But you bring in some veteran guys to shore up the secondary as well. Do all these minor moves that they've been doing to improve their depth, is this going to change their approach to the draft and allow Mickey decide to maybe trade up to go get him a wide receiver he likes or possibly an edge rusher because this is a good class for edge rushers? Uh, Raymond, I'm never stupid enough to shoot down the possibility that Mickey Loomis is going to trade up in the draft. So uh, anytime you ask me that question in perpetuity, my answer is going to be yes, I could see the Saints trading up. This is who they are. This is what they do. So uh, my, my big thing all along has been, look, you just gave up a first round pick to the Eagles. It turned out to be a top 10 pick. So we can't just assume that the Saints are picking in the mid 20s anymore. So to me, the, the first round pick in 2024 has to be off limits. They have to protect that. Uh, now, I don't know that that means they necessarily will. The Saints don't listen to me. So, uh, But, yeah, I think moving up to go get their guy is, has always been their philosophy. It's always been their plan. And so um, I don't think any of us should be surprised if they do that again. You know, I, I've really been uh, impressed by some of the moves they've made. Jamal Williams at running back was a big one uh, I really liked. Uh, Colin Sand, uh, Saunders and, and Nathan, Nathan Shepard, who I think at defensive tackle are going to give the Saints a lot more size to kind of build a wall and stop the run. That's something that they went backwards a little bit with last year. Yep. And I just think size-wise, you're talking about two big athletic defensive tackles that are going to make a big difference against the run. Uh, and I think are big upgrades over Shy Tuttle. And David Onyemato, good pass rusher, but I, I think run-stopping-wise, I think this might be an upgrade as well. So um, you know, as I look at this roster and you mentioned some of these moves in the defensive backfield as well, my biggest complaint last year was how much Dennis Allen was comfortable just bringing back all these role players, uh, whether it was Calvin Throckmorton, Dwayne Washington, you names like that, where it just felt like Dennis Allen was doing things the same way, bringing back the same exact players, the same exact backups, uh, even if. 53 man cutdowns. There weren't a lot of changes. It was all guys that were there from the previous regime on the pre from the previous season. And so it's nice to see them make some changes and, and get some different personalities in the locker room and say, Hey, you know what? Defensive tackle wasn't good for us last year. We're going to completely revamp that room. We're going to get new personalities. We're going to get new players in here. And uh, so I, I like that he's been a little bit more innovative in his approach to changing the personalities and personnel in the locker room because you have to keep evolving you can't just keep bringing back the same old uh complacent players i i think that leads to complacency i think it leads to uh, a level of comfort where guys don't feel uncomfortable and don't feel like they're competing and i think sometimes bringing in new faces hungry faces that want to establish themselves and impress i i think that can create a new dynamic that's really important so I think it's been good to see them kind of change their backups a little bit. You know, a guy like PJ Williams probably looks at the moves at these moves and says, Hey, the writing might be on the wall for me and I have to go find a new team now. And I think that's okay. So I've been impressed overall by the moves. I, I think as I sit here right now, Raymond, the big thing that I still think the saints 
need to be thinking about. And yes, I, I do think they go best player available in the draft. Maybe they move up. But to me, you've lost Davenport. You've lost Caden Ellis. You've lost Onyemata. And that amounted to a lot of sacks from last season. And so from a pass rush standpoint, I think the Saints still need to revamp their front seven. And I feel much better about how they're going to play the run. I don't feel as good about how they're going to get to the quarterback. So I think that's probably at this point uh, what needs the most attention. I agree with you. I did my first mock draft a couple of weeks ago, and I went D-tackle in the first round and then offensive guard in, in the second round. But I feel like with the moves that they've made, I think we're going to see them go edge rusher, and I wouldn't be surprised if they get another wide receiver either. I really wouldn't in the first round. Andrew, appreciate your time, brother. You and Ralph and the gang keep doing the great work with the Saints Half Hour podcast, my friend. We'll talk to you next week, bud. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Raymond. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 doesn't play around when it comes to his personal life. I got one NFL team. I got one college team. I got one Major League Baseball team. And the big fella's also monogamous when it comes to his sports fandom. That's what I got my merch for. That's who I support. Period. Call me old-fashioned. The end. Call me old-fashioned. That's fine. I'll be old-fashioned. RP3 is just committed to providing you with great sports talk here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana sports station oh the game 1037 Lafayette 1041 Lake Charles is your home for the meet East coaches show presented by Mr. Bill Seafood Express Southwest Beverage Company line a bed out of Westlake in the Southwest Louisiana Law Center Tune in tonight, starting at 6 o'clock, as host Jim Gazzolo will be talking with head baseball coach Justin Hill. You can hear it all right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the McNeese Coaches Show. I want to take a moment to thank our guests today that joined us on this hump day edition of RP3 and Company, Ron Higgins from Tiger Details, Jay Walker, the longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, and of course, Andrew Juge from the Saints Happy Hour Podcast. We did have a poll question of the day. It's our foodie poll question of the week. It's always on Wednesday. What's your favorite hot dog-related item? 56% of you say you go with the classic dog, classic hot dog. 20% say pigs in a blanket. 13% say corn dog. And 11% say other. Mr. Green says, I haven't eaten a hot dog since the Yankee fan drank his beer through one. Who ruins a beer like that? By the way, kolaches are not hot dogs. Kolaches are fully covered and uses donut dough and are usually glazed. Also, who the heck uses hot dogs in kolaches? Fair point. Robert says, I choose other for the simple fact that I like them all and also I will need pan fry a cut up hot dog and mix it with mac and cheese. Love me some hot dogs. Krista says, give me a dog on a bun with ketchup, mustard, and mayonnaise. By the way, Ton, who hurt you? I'll give you a hug later. You're a better cook than that. Thanks to all who voted on the poll question of the day. You guys do not disappoint. Appreciate you making us part of your morning commute. That's going to do it for this edition of RP3 and Company. We'll be back tomorrow, 6 to 9, broadcasting live from the FCO Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. For the producer extraordinaire, Mr. Dawson Isolo, a.k.a. D'Lo, I'm Raymond Parsh III, better known as RP3. Up next, Kevin Foote and Footnotes right here on The Game.